Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Welcome, welcome to Epiphany Fellowship. Thanks for being with us today. I'm excited for another Sunday for us coming together, fellowshipping, although it's online. It's great to connect with everybody. For those who are uh, not members of Epiphany Fellowship, but you're just tuning in, whether you're a first-time visitor uh, to our stream or you have been following us through the podcast, welcome to our stream. Epiphany family, miss you. Hopefully, the Lord will eradicate uh, this virus and we'll be in a new season of coming together. Until then, hopefully, we'll have the grace to come together like this. want to give a special shout-out, particularly to those who have to work during this time. Um, so the trash men picking up trash the other day and, I, and, you know, recycling. And I just thought about, man, I know it's probably corona and something they're picking up. And so we're praying God's protection over you as you are helping us to not, uh, you know, get our trash out, basically get our trash out and recycling out. But then also um, those who are our, our workers, our first uh, responders, want to thank God for you, want to pray for your protection um, I have family members that are first responders and that are playing different roles in culture and society. So I'm thankful uh, for God's grace, and we're thankful for you, and we want to keep you lifted that God will keep you safe. Amen? Well, um, I'm not uh, going back to right now a series on order in the church. I, I think that um, at, at right now we have some other things we probably need to press into based on the times that we're in, in order to serve you where you are and to help you to see things through spiritual eyes, um, even though we are in a sort of a isolation through quarantine. So today we're starting a new series called Undefeated. Somebody say Undefeated. I'm so excited. Say it again. Undefeated, undefeated, undefeated. Yes, undefeated. We're going to talk about um, God being the undefeated God and how the, him being the undefeated God will have practical application in your life. And today we will be in Genesis, Genesis, the third chapter, verses 21 through 24. Genesis chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. It reads like this. It says, the Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. The Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed him a station cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. Wow. And, and so, to, so today in our time, I want to talk about in this first installment of our series on Undefeated, God defeats our failures. Yes, God defeats our failures. Let's go before the Lord God Almighty. Father, we thank you that there is no defeat in you and there's no failure in you. And in this time and through all that we're dealing with and all that we're going through, Lord, we want to see 
the reality of the fact that our God is greater than what we've gone through. But I also want to encourage people that have been through some things, Lord God, that they are experiencing today. Lord, I'm praying, Lord God, that you would show your prowess in their life, that you would show your power in their life, throw your weight around in their life and, and challenge the enemy in their life and even challenge us in their life and show us that resurrection power that we celebrate, that we come through in Jesus' mighty name we pray. A to the men. Um, as a believer, one of the things that you get to experience is joy and excitement about being a believer. Um, you know, we all go through different things, but one of the things that I'm excited about is I'm excited about being a believer. Are you excited about being a believer? And in, and, and in um, our excitement about um, being a, a believer, sometimes it's like, man, I wish I would have trusted Jesus Christ sooner. There were some things that I could have avoided um, that if I would have trusted Jesus Christ um, sooner, I, I could have avoided. And I don't know if you felt that way. That uh, you know how far I could have been ahead if I'd have trusted Jesus at an earlier age and been pressing forward. Um, but there's some stuff that you may have feel you missed out on, but don't see how you can recover from all the brokenness, emotional damage, and all different things that you've even gone through if you'd have trusted Jesus Christ quicker that you went through. And I tell you, no matter what you've experienced, family of God. God is able to help you to come overcome some of those things. Why? Because just because you became a believer doesn't mean you experience all of the consequences of your sin not being dealt with. And so sometimes, of course, spiritual consequences, you never get those spiritual consequences because you, you will spend eternity with God. However, some of those natural consequences, um, 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 you can still have some challenges with those natural consequences. And in light of having challenges with some of those natural consequences, um, you can feel defeated. You can feel defeated in your life, whether you were someone that had an abortion or encouraged an abortion, whether you were bad stewardship of resources or whether you squandered opportunities. There's so many different things that you've gone through that you probably regret. And she's like, how can God redeem this? How can God restore this? And how can God reconcile this? Well, I want to let you know that God is undefeated. And in your life, he can help even the failures that you've experienced. He can help redeem those failures in your life. And the way God does that is he wants to show you that you're a part of his narrative. See, God has a larger narrative going on, the big, larger, what we would call redemptive history. God, God, God's work in redemptive history. What's redemptive history? Redemptive history is God acting in spite of our failures to bring all creation under his ordained purpose. Let me say that again. Redemptive history is God acting. Somebody say God acting. It's God acting in spite of our failures to bring all creation, listen, back to his ordained purpose. We're going to see that in Genesis 3, the beginning of that reality. But in our life, God, wants, God is working on the large scale of life in order to bring all history, all the failures in history to date, all the failures that cosmically had consequences. Adamson and Eason had cosmic consequences to creation and to our lives. But God, through his redemptive plan, through slaying Jesus Christ before the foundation of the earth, it was a done deal in God's mind to do that. And, and, and God has a big story that he's working on. However, we have our micro stories, our little stories in our life that many times doesn't align with God 
bringing back things back to his original order. Why? Because so much of our lives are out of order, and a lot of times it's connected to mistakes and sins and failures that we've made. But one of the things that God wants to do is God wants to reroute the power of our life to his power. Listen to me today. He wants to, he wants to put, he wants to inject you into his story. Listen, he doesn't just want to bring his story to you. He wants you to come into his story. But what's beautiful is Jesus Christ enters history to change it. And we want to talk about the beauty and glory of that in our lives. And God wants to come in our lives uh, 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 to, to repurpose our failures to, so that we can experience his redemptive change in getting different areas of our life back in order because God wants to defeat our failures. I got two points for you today in God defeating our failures. Number one, in God uh, defeating our failures. Number one, our failures never take God by surprise. Let me say that again. Our failure, your failure, my failure never takes God by surprise. Look at what the text says. It says, at the, it says, the Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. What's, what's interesting is prior to this, um, we, we see that God was already prepared for Adam and Eve's failure because immediately, even while the, the serpent, we'll talk about the serpent later, was getting cursed or getting judged, if you will, God had already put a plan in play right away because their failure didn't take him by surprise because he said, you will bruise his head, heal, uh, but he'll crush your head, talking about the seed of the woman. God was able to say that so quickly is because God, not only because he's so powerful, he not only, uh, only exists in your failure, he exists in where he's going to give you victory. Help me today. In other words, God, because he's not stationed in where you failed, matter of fact, he existed before you failed, he existed in the time when you failed, he existed in the time right after you failed, but he also also exists in the place where he wants to give you victory. He's omnipresent. And God is able to speak both to where you are and where you're not. And so God, even in the midst of this, he doesn't let, and he recognizes that your fear, your, your failure rather, it never surprises him. So here in the text, in this text, we see further that our failures don't surprise God. He's He's fully, he's not like, oh my goodness, you failed. I don't know what to do. No, God is always ready to engage you in your failure. But look at how beautiful this part of the text is when we talk about God engaging us in our failures. Look at, look here at verse 21. It says, in verse 21, it says, the Lord God made clothing skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. This this is, this, is, this is amazing to me. So you mean to tell me that God, after I failed, and I'm feeling the repercussions of my failure, will make me a tailored outfit? I mean, I, can you believe that God made them clothing? God didn't assign an angel or a cherubim or a seraphim or some type of one of the sons of God. He didn't. He didn't grab one of them and say, yo, I want you to do this for him. No, God went in whatever way he did it. I don't know if he spoke to the end, but, 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 I'm, but, but it seems like based on it being made here, it's interesting that, that somehow God showed his personal involvement with what the woman and the man needed. There, there's, there's a lot just in this verse 
that we can go over and just go berserk on. But when we look here and look at God making them clothing, how much does God care for you? That he actually is going to enter into your circumstances and show you his love for you and care for you. And he cares for them on two levels. In this, in this, in this verse, he cares for them on the natural level. We'll see that. And he cared for them on the spiritual level. Let me say that again. He cared for them on the natural level. He cared for them on the spiritual level. In making them clothing, he knows he's about to kick them out of the Garden of Eden. Eden. I'm going to come back to the word clothing in a second. And, he, uh, 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 and so he's preparing them for an environment that they're not ready for. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Woo, that, that was a good word. But, but, but when we look at clothing, clothing is a huge word in Scripture. Clothing is a huge word in Scripture. We're going to come back to natural and spiritual clothing in a second, uh, preparation of what God was doing in this. But clothing is a massive word in, in, in Scripture. When we look at this reality of what's going on in this passage, Adam and Eve, when they were naked and not ashamed, although they, were na- they, they, they didn't know that they were naked. They were naked, it, it, but, 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 the, but, the, but the issue is, is something was helping them to be clouded or not be able to see the fact that nakedness was an issue. Because I believe even though they weren't physically clothed, they were spiritually clothed. What were they spiritually clothed? They were clothed with the glory of God. How do I know that they were clothed with the glory of God? Because as soon as they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they were knowledgeable of the fact that they didn't have clothes on because the covering of God was no longer in their life. And because the covering of God was no longer in their life, the first thing they looked to do was to cover themselves. And when they covered themselves, guess what they got? They ended up going and they got fig leaves. And it's interesting that the first thing that they went to do after they experienced the loss of God's covering is they tried to cover themselves. Many of us in our life, what we'll begin to do in our life is when we are not experiencing God's presence, we'll try to cover ourselves with all different types of things. And let me tell you something. Anything you try to cover yourself with instead of God is a poor substitute for his presence. I don't care whether you're eating too much. Some of us are eating too much right now. Whether you're drinking too much, whether you're in a relationship, There is nothing, whether you're binging on Netflix and and Apple TV, whatever you're watching, there is nothing in your life that can cover you better than the living God. Because if you look at what they covered themselves with, they covered themselves with fig leaves. And when they covered themselves with fig leaves, as soon as they pulled the fig leaf off the vine, guess what? It started to die. Why? Because anything you cover yourself with besides God is death. Anything that you try to cover yourself with is death. Clothing is a big issue in the Bible, but, but, but God here is clothing them. We're going to talk about natural clothing and why he did that, but also the spiritual role that this is playing as well. But clothing is big throughout the Bible. You have in Song of Solomon, uh, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 3, talking about the role of clothing and, and the wearer. You see David's daughters in 2 Samuel 13, 18. Uh, you see purple uh, in Ezekiel 20, uh, 23, 6 was intended to show nobility. Uh, 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 the, the, the king's favor and resulting in positions were marked by clothing. You'll see that in Jacob um, clothing Joseph in Genesis chapter 37 with a, a, a cloak of many covers, colors. And then later, Pharaoh putting a coat on a, 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 a Joseph later on, talking about the position that he gave him. Second to him, it was symbolized by what he put on him. Clothing is a big issue. When Mordecai in the book of Esther was exalted because of uh, uh, Esther's 
engagement in uh, the political society she was in. Mordecai got clothing. In other words, clothing is a big issue in the Bible. And God clothing them is doing two things. God clothed them naturally in order to prepare them for the environment that they were about to get into. Even though, and I'm going to talk about this in a second, even though they were going into an environment that they had never been in, God prepared them for it even though it was their fault. Lord, have mercy. Sometimes God is so good to our stupidity that when we fail, he meets us in our failure by not letting the failure feel as failing as it feels. I'm getting ahead of myself, but, but, but God loves, God loves us. And in him loving us, he, 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 he wants, uh, he, he is showing us that, listen, y'all failure didn't take me by surprise. But not only that, God also had to, something that had to die in order for them to get clothed. He didn't just create skins out of nothing. It seems like he made them probably from some type of animal pointing to a sacrifice, a need for there to be sacrifice because we know the blood of bulls and goats, the Bible said, never took away sin. And so God was covering them and dealing with the challenge of where they were, even though he was ultimately going to minister and deal with the pandemic and systemic nature of the brokenness of their sin, he was going to ultimately deal with that particular thing in their life. What in your life, family? What in your life, are you dealing with that God needs to and God wants to continue to redeem you from? Because let me tell you something, family of God, your failures never take God by surprise. No matter what you do, God is not wondering what happened. God is so loving that, that now, now, now God, not being taken by surprise by our stuff, family of God, is not a reason to wild out because sin still, up, God is abhorred by sin. Is abhor sin is abhorrent to him, rather. H however, he still somehow, which I don't even understand, figures out a way to love us despite our sinfulness. I want you to think about that. God decided to love you despite your sinfulness and my sinfulness. And so it, it, it never surprises God how bad we can get. <laughs> because God covered them better than they could cover themselves. That's what I, even, even this temporal covering, God covers them better than they could ever cover themselves. Uh, but then also, God, again, he, pre he prepared them for the harsh environment. But what's interesting is whenever God disciplines you, this was crazy about this passage, God always disciplines you with hope. God never disciplines you without giving you hope that what he disciplines you for has purpose. Israel, it's no passage in the Old Testament that you could look up where they, where, they, where they sinned, where God didn't provide an opportunity for restoration. When you look at even the curses of Deuteronomy 28, God said, if you call out to me, I'll come back to you. When you look in Hosea chapter 1 where he split the, showed the prophecy about splitting the kingdom and restoring them back together and putting them back together, and we see that in Ephesians 2, God always gives hope in those things. You, you, look, you look in Moses' life, and when Moses was supposed to speak to the rock, he, he struck the rock um, because of his anger with Israel. And, 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 and when he struck the rock, uh, God did what he was going to do anyway by grace to provide for his people, but he judged Moses, and Moses wouldn't be able to go into the promised land. Uh, um, but, but 
But in the midst of that, God told Moses that you can watch them going into the promised land, but you're not going to lead them into the promised land. But then we see later that God graces Moses to be on the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah, with Jesus. We see in David's life, when David did crazy things, he lied, he slept with Bathsheba, and he killed Uriah the Hittite. Those three things. Two of them was worthy of death. But even with two of them being worthy of him dying, guess what the Bible says? The Bible says, Nathan says, that you will not die in your sin. In other words, God is so gracious that he didn't let him die in his sin. He did give him the consequence of the sword never departing from his household. But even though the sword never departed from his household, he still was going to put and not lack one to sit on the throne eternally for him, which would ultimately be Christ. God, listen, never lets our failures go without what he's disciplining us, he never lets those that discipline make us hopeless. Because if you find, if you, if, 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 because if you don't give hope in discipline, you become despaired and lack hope and lack faith. Solomon, Solomon didn't get the kingdom split during his time. Hezekiah didn't get taken into captivity, the kingdom getting taken into captivity during his time. Nebuchadnezzar, God didn't leave him out in the field, hopeless as in, in chapter 4 with, an, with the nature of an animal because of his arrogance of thinking he had built Babylon when God gave him the grace to go in there and take his people into captivity. God never leaves the person he disciplines hopeless. Never. That's the beauty of God. And so it never takes him by surprise, but he doesn't leave you hopeless. You know, I, um, my, you know, I'm not going to name which child, but I had to discipline one of my kids, and I, I, I can remember just being real harsh, real. And, and, and God, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit, how he does, the Holy Spirit will nudge you. And I could tell, and I could feel since in my spirit, a sense of grief that I was being a bit overbearing. The Holy Spirit... Was, was, was like, that's pretty harsh. He said, he said, they need discipline, but they also need hope. Discipline must not be permanent and punitive. It must be a, 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 a preparatory and hopeful. That's what it has to be in our life. And because God is undefeated in our life, he will give you the experience of experiencing the issue and getting touched by the challenge enough for you to be wooed away from it, yet he gives you enough hope to let you know that I'm going to override the effects of what you did. That's what's beautiful about being in Jesus Christ. What's beautiful about being in Jesus Christ, family God, is we don't experience and we don't jump into and dive into the full brokenness of the sin that we could have gotten all the consequences of. And yet we see that none of it took God by surprise. I got one more point, then I'm out your way. One more point. Oh, I, I need to give verse, verse 23. Verse 23, it says, So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. In other words, we're going to talk about this in the next section. But God... <laughs> shows us is this is when work lost its pleasure. Next point, next point. If you are going to see that God is the God who defeats our failures, number two, number two, God protects us from our failures causing permanent damage. Let me say that again. 
God will protect you from your failures causing permanent damage. Look at verse 22. It says, that he, it says, the Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. This is, this is crazy. Now, 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 looking at this verse and the verse we just read, you would sort of think of this as, 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 a, as a very, very harsh thing for God to cause the people to, Adam and Eve rather, to have to leave the garden. God, God, God says this judgment is because they know both good and evil. In other words, at this moment is when man lost the full connection to God of the image of God in experience. In other words, everyone in humanity has the image of God. Everyone has the image of God on a level, but, the, but, but those who believe have the fullness of the image of God. Image of God is the ability to tell right from wrong, conscious, know that murder is wrong, all those different things. But when you become a believer, it's upgraded because now because you're an image bearer through Jesus Christ, you, you're upgraded from imago Dei to imago Christi, which means that now you are able through Jesus Christ to fully live out humanity at its best. What's happened here is man has lost the fullness of his humanity in some way. Sin is inhuman. Let me say that again. Sin is inhumanity at its, at its, at its worst. And so when we look at the reality of this, <clears throat> there's, there are ways in which the glory, when you lose the glory of God, you're not as human as you're supposed to be because you were created to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And when you don't glorify and enjoy him, that's subhuman because God is the manufacturer of your humanity. And because he's the manufacturer of your humanity, the only way to really be human is to be connected to him. But to be disconnected to him, from him is to be subhuman. And so in light of this reality, God, even though we chose not to be fully human, that was the choice. Whenever we sin, we choose not to be fully human, right? Sin based on what God says, not what man says, but what God says. So now, God does something interesting, which takes me back to us understanding the full nature of what, what this is about. Because the devil initiated this Adam and Eve applied it, okay? So cause I, I want you to see how gracious God is in the midst of this. The devil gives and exposes you to only a portion of what he promises, but it always has massive consequences. Always has massive consequences. So following the devil always has more consequences than benefits, right? We're going to see that in a second, okay? Now, it says here, he, talking about God, drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming, whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the Tree of Life. <coughs> so now what are we seeing? Garden of Eden is where the presence of heaven and earth overlapped and met. That's why God so freely met with God, Adam and Eve in the garden, right? This is, this is all very important, and, and it's all going to come together. And, 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 so, and so this is where heaven and earth met. In other words, this is where the first tabernacle was. Him being a cherubim, uh, that, that, that means, that means uh, Satan was one of the cherubim. He was a cherub um, um, because he was in a snake form. That, it wasn't literal snake. 
It, it, it was a spiritual snake. How do I know? Because if you go to Ezekiel, you see, you see not angels, but spirit beings who are in God's heavenly family who take on different forms anthropomorphically for us to understand whether it was a lion face or a snake face. So him talking about the serpent was really talking about a spirit being that was, that, that's why when Satan went up on Adam and Eve, they weren't like surprised by it. The reason why they weren't surprised by it is not because of all the animals talk, it's because he was a spirit being in what would be a snake form based on Ezekiel talking to them, right? Go to Ezekiel chapter 1 through chapter 2, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Other places in there, creatures with four faces and all of that, all those different things you'll you'll see there. That's why it wasn't strange. But here, can you imagine now Adam and Eve being kicked out? Can you imagine them, them being in the Garden of Eden? Can you imagine them as they're in the Garden of Eden and, 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 and now having to step out on parts? I mean, back here is plush. I mean, this is, this is the true promise now where heaven and earth meets, but it's just earth out there. there. There's no, it's where deadness exists. And can you imagine God kicking them out and for the first time with their skins on, knowing that they're naked, the animal skins on their body, and them stepping from plush land to parched land? Can you just imagine it? Can you just imagine going from where the presence of God is intense and where you have met with God, but now you're having to walk in a world of failure. But that's not what the story is fully telling here. God kicking them out of Eden wasn't just an act of discipline. It wasn't just an act of consequence. It wasn't just an act of judgment. God kicking Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden was an act of mercy and grace. How do I know that? Well, first off, the enemy knew that this was going to happen because the devil wanted to, let me tell you, devil 101, <coughs> devil 101 is, <coughs> this is, this is how you, this is lesson number one with the devil. In partnering with the devil, he always overpromises and underdelivers. <laughs> he always overpromises and underdelivers. That's why God is needed. Because if it wasn't for God, we would have to live in the consequences that the enemy knows about that we don't know about, but we're going towards the thing that he's pushing us towards, not knowing how bad things are going to get because he's just literally just throwing out a trap for us to go into the trap. But what's good is you have to have somebody, even in your mistakes, even in your failure, even in you push out of multiple Edens in your life, you need an undefeated God that can oversee you in your life and not let your failure be the last word. Why? Because here, when we look here, and it says that God kicked them out of the garden of Eden. It was an act of grace. Why was it an act of grace? <clears throat> because they had many trees to eat of in the garden of Eden. But they ate from the tree of life. And when they ate from, I mean, ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil first, they ate from that. That caused spiritual death to take place. Why? Because disobeying God, it wasn't like death was in the tree. It was the act of doing what God said not do that caused death, right? It wasn't like death was in that tree. When they sinned, they were separated from God, right? God is kicking them out of the Garden of Eden 
because the tree of life is a symbol of choosing life over death. There were two key trees in the garden, and then there were multiple amount of trees that were all over the place in the garden. He said, eat freely of any tree in the garden except for this. But there was the tree of death in the garden, or the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life. If they ate from the tree of death and then ate from the tree of life, they would be eternally damned to be separated from God, because if you eat death and eat life, you get eternal death. Are you hearing me today? You get eternal death, which means you're not savable. That's why angels who fail, that's why sons of God who fail can't be redeemed because they were already eternal and they sinned. Therefore, they die in their sin because they're not redeemable. <clears throat> but what God does is if all you have death, he can redeem you with eternality. But if you have eternality and death, he can only give you eternal separation from God. God was doing this as an act of mercy. Listen, what I love about this reality is God protects them from permanent damage. How many things in your life has God protected you from being permanently damaged of? Some stuff like, you don't realize some of the stuff that bad happened to you because of your sin actually happened as a lower level consequence of something greater that God was trying to protect your stupid from. Hmm? You see, because God has to even put brakes on your stupid and my stupid. Our stupid has unlimited stupidness, but God is so gracious that he knows the stupidity of, the, the, the level of stupidity in our stupidness, that he doesn't allow our stupidness not to override his stupendousness. Help me today, somebody. God does this for us. It reminds me of the young man who was running capers or running, doing, uh, doing robberies and different things with his, with his friends, and he ended up getting locked up and getting like three and a half years. He was angry. He was frustrated because his friends didn't get caught. He got caught and he got the time. He took the bill for it. But a few weeks later, after he got locked up, put in and everything, his friends without, went out and all of them got killed. He trusted Jesus Christ in prison. When he trusted Jesus Christ as his savior in prison, his life was totally turned around. When his life was turned around, he got out, found out that his friends were killed, and he recognized that even though he got consequences of his sin, he didn't get the full consequences of his sin because if he would have been able to continue to sin in his stupidity, he would have died in his sin. But he said, I would rather have three and a half years in jail than eternal separation from God. <laughs> How many of you in your life has God rescued you and he gave you a micro-consequence that's not as bad as the big consequence. Because God is a God who's, who, who, can't, who, who can't and will not allow your sin and your failures to have permanent consequences. All the crazy stuff you did. Name, name three of the, in your mind, you ain't, don't talk to nobody around you. Name three of the dumb things you did that, 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 that got a, a little bit of a consequence. And it hurt for the moment. But if God would have given you the fullness of your consequences, where would you be today? God is so gracious. And he's so, some of you, matter of fact, you ain't get the, the only consequence for some of y'all was conviction, uh, conviction of heart, not conviction in prison conviction. Uh, um, um, God is good to us. And that's why he's the undefeated God. But what's the hero reality of the passage? The hero reality of this passage is that ultimately Jesus Christ comes back to implement the reality that God is undefeatable. He's, he's not defeatable. I mean, <clears throat> I want you to recognize God can't be defeated. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins <clears throat> and was raised up from the grave, 
Like that's showing the fact that God is flossing in Jesus Christ the fact that he can't be defeated because even dying as a human being can't defeat God from getting up from a grave. Oh my God, that's beautiful. It's nothing like seeing somebody that's undefeated. I mean, I mean, undefeated just got a different shine to it. I mean, you look at Floyd Mayweather as an undefeated dude. <laughs> he just has a bit more flair to it with him being undefeated, right? Right, being undefeated. Well, God, God, listen, God has been in some of the worst fights, not for him. <clears throat> in our minds, if it was for us <clears throat> and to us only, it would be some of the worst stuff ever. But God has defeated every one of his enemies. Guess what he's going to ultimately do? He's going to get rid of sin. He's going to get rid of death. And he's going to get rid of the devil. He's going to get rid of the trifecta. Why? Because he's the undefeated God. He's going to do it in the future, but he can also do it in your life now. What in your life do you feel defeated by? I want you to bring it to mind. I want you to write it down. And I want you to submit it to God. The Bible says, cast your cares on him. Because he cares for you. God wants to defeat everything in your life that seeks to defeat you. He wants to. And he extends power. Hear me today. He extends power in your life to defeat everything in your life that would try to defeat the reality of him and your purpose and his plan for your life. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you think that, man, this is, this is unreal. Lord, I, 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 Jesus Christ offers the opportunity through his death and resurrection for you to experience the undefeated God. Well, you've, you may feel depressed and emotionally defeated. God can defeat it. You may feel broken and then nothing in your life can change. God can defeat it. You may feel like your circumstances are the same. God can defeat it. God wants to defeat everything, but ultimately he wants, know what he wants to defeat most of all? The disconnection between you and him. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then there's, that needs to be defeated. Because Adam and Eve initiated the disconnection between us and God that went to all of us. And now we have their nature. God wants to override and defeat what nobody else can defeat. Only God can defeat it. If you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, he'll take you from spiritual death to spiritual life. And he'll grow you by taking you from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. Trust him so that he can take you to spiritual death and spiritual life. If you're on the feed right here to my left, your right, and you want to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, just say, I trusted Jesus. And we're going to have one of our team going to put in the comments. You can put in admin at Epiphany Fellowship or a Harvester's link. And in there, someone put, put, uh, 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 go and email that, uh, that email that's right there in the link. And what they want to do is they're going to reach out to you and talk to you more about what it means to place your confidence in Jesus Christ. Well, that's it, Epiphany Fellowship. Love you and so thankful for you. Thankful for all of you guys, how you've been giving and investing, and for us to be able to continue to do ministry that we're doing because ministry is still going on. I'm so excited about all the Zoom chats that are going on. Uh, Numanity has been meeting and doing breakfast. Uh, 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 um, 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 uh, Assault has been doing ministry. The Harvesters have been doing training. Uh, the Children's Ministry, shout out to Tamika. They've been doing a great job with kids on Sunday morning. So we are so, so thankful. And I know there are more, forgive me, 
if I forgot, but thank everyone for connecting and finding ways, even if it's cyber fellowship, trying to find ways to connect and even engage people who need engagement and love. God bless you and take care. By God's grace, we'll see you next week. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.